0: just preface everything that's going to come out of my mouth right now with, I love my wife. And I want you to remember that, and Emily, I want you to write that down and remember that so that later on today we have great conversation. Now I was thinking about this message and I was realizing that, that change is inevitable. And, and here's the thing, that change is going to affect us in, in two ways. There are going to be circumstances that come our way that may affect our mind to make certain decisions, but then there's another type of change that we're going to learn about today in the scripture that is a change, uh, speaking of transformation. Now that change is not a change that uh, it happens from the outside in, it is a change that happens from the inside out. And I'll explain that a little further later. But as I was thinking about that, I was thinking that there, are, there is a big change that took place in my life about six months ago, okay, that's marriage. Now a lot of you here understand what that is about. Now, I, I don't know why people would want to live together before they get married. Um, I, I'm learning that unless you're doing something, you should not. I think when we do counseling and they're like, oh, yeah, we're not, we're not doing bad stuff, I'm like, you're a liar, because I don't know why a guy would ever want to live with a girl and, and not have the privileges that come as a result of marriage. So for some of you that you know what I'm talking about, others of you, um, you're welcome. Have that fun conversation on the way home today with your children. And so... We, those, it, it is complicated, all right? And I mean, there are days on, on Friday, specifically Friday, okay? That's my day off. That is the time that I get to spend doing schoolwork and all that good stuff. But I try to take a couple hours on Friday to clean the house. Now, men, there are perks that come with cleaning. But I'll never understand this, no matter how much I clean. There's always something wrong. You know you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, ladies, I don't understand what it is. It's like, you, you dust Dust, like you know, I'm sitting cleaning this, and 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 I have everything perfect, but oh, um, it's supposed to go over there. Okay, you're welcome. You know that that's, and so I look at that and I think to myself, honey, what's gotten into you? And and it can have a a negative connotation, but then there's some times where. I think about this situation, and I know that she can say that phrase back to me on so many different uh, occasions. I'm, I'm a different guy, okay? I, one thing that I do is, is I like to sing. Some of you may not know that. If you know my family, you would understand that. I like to sing. I don't necessarily do it in public, but when I'm happy, I whistle, and sometimes I sing. And one place, one place that I like to sing is, is in the shower. I mean, I'll just go ahead and tell you that. Let's be honest. We're in church. I'll be open. Okay, there you go. You get one today. Is in the shower. Now, my wife has gotten into the habit of standing outside the shower and recording my singing and sending it, sending it to uh, other family members. I'm just glad that it has not made Facebook or any other social media outlet. And so my wife can look at me and think, honey, what has gotten into you? And so I look at this today, and what I want us to really understand is simply this is that when Christ intervenes into our life and He transforms us, you can't help but to look at someone and think and ponder the question, what's gotten into you? What's gotten into them? Because when you experience Christ, when you meet Christ, when you really have had that transformation take place in your life, then there is going to be a difference. We're singing the song Yahweh and crying out the word Holy. That word holy means to be set apart. When we follow Christ, we are to be set apart from the ways of the world. We are to be set apart from the ways that other people act, and we are to transform ourselves. We are to allow ourselves to be transformed by the healing power of Jesus Christ. And so today as we, as we go through this message, I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Romans chapter 12. We'll be in verses 1 and 2. That's where we're going to spend all our time today. But what you've got to understand in this passage is that this passage is specifically written to followers of Christ. When the movement of Christianity took place as a result of Jesus' resurrection, the followers of Christ were not known as Christians. That, that was a term that came later on, but they were known as people who followed the way. Jesus proclaimed to be the way, and so the followers were ones that they were, they were followers of the way. They were followers of Jesus. And so Paul has written this message to followers of the way, specifically in Rome. So my hope today is for those of you here who are followers of Christ, that you will understand the daily commitment that is supposed to take place in your life. But for those of you here today who are not, my hope and prayer has been this, that through the scripture you will see the joy that comes with the relationship of Jesus Christ and that today you will finally humble yourself to allow him to take control in your life and you will experience that joy and that power that is Jesus living within you. And so as we look at this passage, what I want us to understand is this, what it means to walk in God's will. The Bible tells us that it is God's will for all to know Him. It is God's will for everyone in this room to give their life over to Him. Now, will you make that choice? Will everyone in this room make that choice to do so? I don't know. I hope so. And God has that same hope in mind, or else He would not have taken the cross and gone through what He went through in vain. He did it for a specific reason, and it was for you to know Him. But as a result of knowing Him, there is a will that God has for our life. And this is what it looks like. And in God's will, the first thing that we need to do is this, is to be in God's will. It involves sacrifice. We look in the passage, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I love this phrase, living sacrifice, because when you look into the Scripture, you will see two times in all of Scripture, once in the old and once in the new, where there was a living sacrifice that took place. The first was with Isaac. Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, son that he had prayed for for so long and God miraculously gave him a son and then God says, Abraham, you are to sacrifice your son. Now, there are two forms of obedience that have taken place in this story. One is the obedience of Abraham. Now, some talk about how Abraham, uh, they believe that he was very reluctant. As you can look into his life, there uh, there are many decisions that Abraham made that were very poor decisions. So he was not necessarily the most obedient person in the world. But in this moment, we do see that he did follow through with what God commanded him. But there's another person in the story that often seems to to be put aside, and that is the person that the situation is actually happening to, and that is Isaac. Now, here's what's going on with Isaac. He is about to die. Now, the Scripture doesn't go into the emotions what Isaac is experiencing, but I could only imagine that he's got to understand, okay, something is not right. Like, Dad, we don't really go on these hikes. Dad, why are you bringing a knife? Dad, what's going on? Why are you tying my hands behind my back? Dad, why am I sitting down here? Dad, what's that in your hand? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I could only imagine that is probably some of the stuff going on in his mind. But here's the thing, Isaac was obedient. Isaac was obedient. What happened, God provided. He provided a way out. We fast forward several thousand years and we see a man, a man who had great power, a man that has done things that no one else in history has ever done. That man is Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? Jesus became a sacrifice for who? For, For us. And I look at Jesus and I see his obedience. See, Jesus had to make a choice as well. Would he go through with this or would he back out? Because Jesus had nothing to lose. I mean, Jesus would have just gone right back where he came from and that was his throne. I mean, where's the shame in that? I mean, there's luxury up there. Why would he want to come? But he came because he loves us. He chose it because He loves us. The turning point in Jesus' decision, I believe, took place in Gethsemane. About four or five years ago, I had the opportunity to sit beside an olive tree in Gethsemane. I'll never forget this moment. It was one of the most profound moments of my life. And I I separated myself from the rest of the group, and I went beside an olive tree, and I just had to think of myself in this moment of, of, of being in Jesus' shoes. And I thought to myself, where would he go? And I figured, well, Jesus would probably just, in this moment, because of everything he's going through, would just kind of seclude himself from the group and have that time between him and the Father. And so I went up to the corner in the Garden of Gethsemane and I knelt down. And when I knelt down, I looked up. There was an olive tree right here. But directly across from me was the landscape of, his, of Jerusalem. Now, in Jesus' time, directly across from him would have sat the temple. And Jerusalem would have been an example... To be the the center of the world. And I can't help but think of Jesus in that moment when he was sweating blood. I don't think anyone in this room has been that nervous, has been filled with that much anxiety to have sweat blood because none of us have experienced what he was about to experience. We think we have, but we have not. We sit and we try to say, well, God doesn't know what I'm going through in this situation. He knows multiplied by a thousand. God doesn't understand this divorce I'm going through. He sweat drops of blood for you. He knows. I don't know. No pastor will know. No psychologist will know. Only God knows. And it is up up to you to tell him. It is up to you to bring that before his feet. And I believe in that moment when Jesus was knelt down, he cried out these words. He said, God, if there is any other way, let it be done. But this right here, this phrase is the turning point. He said, not my will, but your will be done. In that moment, Jesus said, I will be obedient to take that cross. I know what is going to happen hours from now, and I will take it, and I will gladly take it. For you. For you. He took it for the divorce you're going through. He took it for the death that you have just experienced. He took it for the relationships that are crumbling. He took it from the hardship that you are going through so that you don't have to endure that pain alone. And that he can be there right beside you. But the real question is, as we look and examine what Christ has done for us, are we willing to do so for him? See, the first thing that God asked for us to be a part of his will, to be a part of his great plan is we must humble ourselves as he gave himself for us. The Bible says in in 1 John 2, 2, that he was the atonement of our sin. It so says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Another, another word there is atonement. What that means is that Jesus stood in the way so that we did not have to endure the consequences that we are supposed to endure. It is a, a courtroom scene where we are on trial for the sin that we have committed. For the things that we have done, for every evil thought, every evil deed, everything that we have ever plotted, maybe we have not followed through with, but we've thought it in our mind, it has been a reflection of our heart. We have sinned because of that, but there is great hope. And the hope comes through Jesus. Because in that courtroom as we're on trial, Jesus stands between us and God. And if we have humbled ourselves to Christ, as Christ humbled himself to be obedient to death... Then Jesus stands before us and he says, no matter what they have done, I got them. I got their back. To break it down for you, Jesus is our Febreze. Now, before I got married, I didn't really wash my clothes as much. I mean, that's just a guy thing, maybe. I don't know, some of you are probably "Eh, that's great. But that's just what happened, okay? I could wear jeans for like two weeks and I could get a little Febreze and you'd never know. The only time the only time that you would you would need to wash something is if there was a stain. I mean, it is a miracle worker, okay? Now, another thing with Febreze is when I go to the gym, now, I, I've taken my gym shoes out of my car now because it's just nasty, okay? And so I play basketball about once or twice a week, and those shoes are, those things are stanky, man. I mean, I'm telling you, let's just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, they, they stink. And... What you could do if you've seen the commercial on TV where they blindfold the people and they sit them in a car. It's like they're sitting them in a car with my gym shoes, but then they get like banana peels and other rotten tomatoes and just a bunch of junk. Y'all seen that commercial? Have you seen that? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you have. Okay, good, good. Making progress here. Febreze, yes, I know what he's talking about. All right, so in that commercial, when they're blindfolded, they sit in the car. And they think, oh, man, this car is fresh. This is brand new. And then they take off the blindfold, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, this is nasty. This is nasty. See, our life is that car. That, that's a good illustration of our sin. But see, Jesus has the power to make what is, is raunchy, what is stinky, smell good. See, that is Grace. And that's what he did on the cross. And so we must give ourselves to him so we can have that aroma in our life. But see, too often what we try to do is we try to fix things. I'm a fixer. It doesn't work. Right, there are many moments when maybe uh, my wife has had a rough day and she calls me and is like telling me all this stuff going on. And, and so I'm immediately like, oh, yeah, well, you need to do this. And then I get the word that can be a really good word or a really bad word. It just depends on the tone, and that word is honey. And that's when I know, oh, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I just want you to Listen. And then I have to rethink and say, okay, you're right, you're right. You know, that's what we tend to do with God. That's what we tend to do with our relationships, all up and down the board with our work, with everything that we're going through. We try to fix things. We don't do a very good job at it. But the truth of the matter is God is calling us and he's saying, stop. Stop because you're making it worse. Humble yourself, let me help you. See, because God knows the person's heart that you're dealing with. God knows your heart. He knows you better than you know yourself. He can help you through that situation, but are you willing to let him help you through that situation? See, what I'm talking about is simply this. It's giving up so that Christ can take control. Listen to what Jesus tells us to do in Mark 8:34. He says, in calling the crowd to him, With his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, this is a great picture of what it means to humble ourselves before God. It's not saying to deny that you actually exist as a person. When you look in the mirror, you are still there. God created you with a personality that he wants wants to use for his glory, for his benefit. It's not saying to change who you are, but it's changing your desire. That desire now, which was once a desire to please yourself, is now a desire to honor Christ. I'll be honest with you. I'm all about honesty today. I, I'm not a, a very good person. And you know, I think bad thoughts. I, I get mad at people. Last night, there's a situation that took place. I got mad at a guy, and I, and I had some, some words with him, some very nice words. But I didn't say, I wasn't wasn't cussing at him or anything, but I should not have said anything at all. Though this person might have been in the wrong, I should have turned the other cheek and done what God said. And the irony is that he is wanting me to teach this to you and then I'm being tested with this in my own life. And so for me to be somewhat vulnerable with you, I want you to understand that I go through the same things that you go through. Just because someone gets up on stage and teaches the word does not mean that they are perfect. I need grace just as much as you do. And so as Jesus tells us that we are to come after Him, we are to follow Him, we are to give our lives over to Him, knowing that only He can fix those things that are going on in our life that are wrong. But once we humble ourselves over to Christ, what takes place is a miracle. And what we see is the second thing that we need. See, so to be in God's will takes sacrifice. But the second thing that we see is to be in God's will involves realignment. The biggest decision is to align yourself with Christ. But as you align yourself with Christ, other things will take place in your life that you need to take out of your life to help you focus more clearly on Christ. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you know that word transformed in this passage is the same word that is used when Jesus stood before his disciples, when he took a couple of his disciples up and He, He, he revealed to them his glory. And the scripture is called the transfiguration. That transformation that took place was a transformation from the inside out. God's glory revealed See, what happens when we are transformed for Christ, His glory is revealed. His glory is what transforms our inside. He takes that which is sick and He makes it well. He makes it good. But it is only through Him and only through His transfiguration in our own lives that that can take place. But it says, renew your mind. The mind is a delicate thing. I have watched the mind deteriorate in my own family. I've watched it deteriorate with my friends. I have seen how fragile the mind is. And I understand that one day our mind will go, but the more of Christ we place in our mind will remain with us. This past Christmas, my grandfather's had Alzheimer's for about five years. He's getting to the point where he's starting to forget uh, his grandchildren. He's starting to forget some of his family members if they've not been around for a while. But the one thing that is always so amazing to me is when we pray before a meal, who granddad does not forget is who we give thanks to. He has not forgotten his Savior because he has aligned his mind up with the things that are pure, the things that are holy, the things that are of Christ. See, what happens is too often we try to live one way. then we come to church and it makes us feel good about living in God's way. And then we kind of go back and forth and back and forth and so on. What happens is this. We get spiritually dizzy. Now, I'm not a scientist. I don't claim to be. But, Shane, if you can pull up that picture, I want to show you something. It's pretty interesting to me. Up here on this picture, you can see a a lady's head, and it's up in the upright position, then it's going down. Now, this picture shows what happens when someone gets dizzy. It shows what is censoring inside our brain to let us know when we are moving. So as you can see on here, you've got these hair cells. And this whole area is called the macula. Now, what happens is these otoliths, they're like a crystal chalky type substance. Now, when your head moves back and forth, what it's doing is those hair cells are triggering the otolith. And what it's doing is it's telling the brain what is taking place. Now, when we become dizzy is when we move our head too fast, then the information that is being transmitted to the brain is a second behind. So what's actually happening and what's being told is happening is in two different time frames. And so what happens as a result is we become dizzy. Now, this is a very good spiritual example because what happens in our own life when we are trying to live two different ways is spiritual dizziness. In other words, if you are are trying, if you say you've given your life to Christ, but you're trying to fix a certain situation, then what's happening in your life because you've not given that situation over to Christ is dizziness. Dizziness. And you wonder why there is turmoil in that situation, why there's chaos in that situation Well, it's because there's spiritual dizziness taking place. See, we've got to realize that what we've got to do is is, is live one way or the other. You can't do both. See, the world tells us one way while Jesus shows us the real way. And if you want more peace and substance in your life, then you've got to live the way that God wants us to live. So how do I do that? It's very simple. Focus on Jesus. It's very simple. We look to Him. Listen to what Galatians 2.20 says. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, when we align ourselves In the way that we are supposed to align ourselves and we find ourselves aligned with Christ and what happens is our life transforms. And we begin to live our life for Christ. The decisions that we make are decisions desired on what will honor Christ. How will Christ be honored in this decision? How will he be honored in my marriage? How will he be honored in my schoolwork? Students, are you putting the effort into your schoolwork that you need to so that Christ can be honored? When I was in college, and you're gonna experience this, Some of you are experiencing it in your work right now. There's many different ideas. We live in a postmodern world, a world that says live in the gray area. There's no black and white. In other words, there's no absolutes. So there's no right and wrong. So what our society is trying to do is take away moral absolutes. So go shoot somebody. Who cares? Because to me, it feels okay. You know, that's what our society is trying to tell us. It's that postmodern influence that's being placed into everything. Now, some of the best examples that you can set as that is trying to be placed into more of the, uh, the, the collegiate educational level and into other philosophies, the best example you can set, and this is for the adults as well at work, is to be the best worker. Students, to be the best students. That doesn't mean that you're going to make A's. All right, don't let your, pre- don't let your parents pressure you just to make A's. Sorry, mom and dad. But you can do the absolute best you know you can do. And if an A is your best, then you should not make anything other than an A. But you do your best so that you can honor God with your score, so that you can honor God with your work. And your desire is for him to be honored in your life. So we align ourselves towards Jesus. Listen to what James says. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There is a practical illustration right there. To resist the devil. When the, the, the world is trying to tempt you, he doesn't say, well, I'm just going to hang out with him for just a little bit. And he says, no, get away. Run, flee, resist, and he will flee from you. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So the opposite of that is drawing near to God, and God will be there for you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and let your joy to gloom. And I love this part. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Exalting comes as a result of humility. If that is the cry of God, is for us to be humbled. Our society does not teach that. It says, be the best. And I just told you to be the best, but for whose glory? Not yours, for God's. That's humility. God wants us to be the best, but for his glory, for his initiative, for his sake, not for ours. And so my challenge is, are you doing that? And I think the real question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do I? It's very simple. I'm gonna give you three letters, UPS. You can remember that. What can Brown do for you? I mean, there you go. There's their plug. Now, my, my uncle works for FedEx, so I apologize for anyone in here with FedEx. But UPS, it's very simple. The first thing, if you've got a pen, write this down. Practical steps in, in, in spending that time with God, aligning yourself up with Christ. First one is this, us time. Us time. Matthew, what are you talking about? Well, my wife and I, we do this thing. It's called us time. That's when we don't hang out with anybody else. <laughs> That's when we cut off our phones because we don't care about your problems in this moment because this is our us time. Sometimes us time is watching a movie, but recently us time has been just cutting off everything and spending time with each other. Maybe sitting together for a meal, maybe sitting around and laughing, but we have a lot of joy in us time. Why? Because we get to know each other better in us time. See, Jesus wants us time. He wants you to experience us time with him. It's just simply cutting off the distractions around you and spending that time with him. Fathers, I'm gonna challenge you real quick. Start spending us time because you are gonna be a reflection of your home. I deal with a lot of issues with students and the greatest issues that I deal with are lack of leadership in the home. And it's not because of mom, it's because of you, dad. Spend us time. God will reveal to you truths about your children because He knows your children better than you and He will reveal to you how you need to lead your home, how you need to love in your home. Tell your children you love them because God tells us that and we are to be a reflection of God in our home and so I'm challenging you to do that. Spend us time. But Matthew, when I'm doing us time, what am I supposed to do during that time? The second thing is simple. Pray. Pray. Matthew, I don't know how to pray. You know, I'm sorry because the church has created prayer to be something that is much more complex than it really needs to be. We think we need to throw up about 80 Hail Marys and do about 10 Tim Tebow's. You know, and that's what's going to make us pray closer to God. That's not the case. It's very simple. Just talk to them. Tell them about the relationship you're going through. Tell them about the circumstance that happened during your day. Be open and honest with them. Some people, it's easy just to talk out loud. Others, I tell the students, journal it, write it down. You've heard of the book of Psalms, right? David wrote down his prayers. George Washington used to wake up every morning. He would write down his prayers. If it's easier for you to comprehend things that way, write it out. It's very simple. Another thing coming up in January, we're doing the prayer summit. You've heard us talk about that. That's a way that'll help you kind of go through an outline of how to pray. And so it's an opportunity for you to come uh, and and to be able to have those notes so that you know how to do that. It's really not as complex as it needs to be. And then the last thing that you see here is S. It's scripture reading. Another thing that so many Christians do not do, we want to grab the newest self-help book, but we want to run from the scriptures just open up the book. Now, I know it's difficult for some people because we do not live in a Hebrew culture. We don't understand necessarily what the Israelites were going through in Egypt. We don't really understand what was going on in the culture. Get a good Bible with a concordance at the bottom. It'll help take you through uh, the historical times and what was going on so you have a better understanding of the scripture. But here's the thing, you've just got to open it up. If anyone here has a smartphone, you have no excuse you can get the U Version app. If you don't know about it, write it down. Version, Y-O-U, version. It has daily devotions on there. It has daily reading plans. It will, it will give you reminders to let you know when to read. You can put that in your phone on the times that are best so you can begin to read the scripture. Here's the other thing. Write down the questions that you have. I get emails from the students on a weekly basis asking me questions about the scripture. I've gotten different books to kind of help them understand the scripture as they are going through it. The reason why is because they've actually picked it up and they're going through it. They're not intimidated by the words on the page. What they're doing is taking those words and trying to learn them. You don't know how to hit unless you pick up a bat. You can't shoot a basket unless you have a ball it takes initiative from you to actually do it. And it's very simple. UPS. If you do those things, that's just a start. That's a start between the relationship that is between you and God. And that relationship will affect everything else. Because when you align yourself towards Jesus, it'll affect every area of your life and you will begin to watch yourself change from the inside out. And the change that is taking place from your inside, the miraculous change that is taking place from God in you will be noticed from those around you and they can't help but to ask, what's gotten into you? And you've got an opportunity to share about what Christ has done and not know and not necessarily what he has done but what he is doing in your life today <laughs>